Hey everyone, this is Rich Duncan with Ink Heist, and tonight I'm joined by my partner in crime, Shane Douglas Keene, and we also have John F.D. Teff back to speak with us about book two in The Fearing. Hey, so, gentlemen. How you doing? Pretty good, John. Doing pretty good. How about yourself, John? I am doing well. I am talking to you, the first people that I'll be talking to from my new first floor office. My wife was so alarmed with the possibility of me going downstairs every day to my office after I broke my femur that we have uh, moved my office upstairs to what used to be the dining room and did a little construction, walled it off, put a door in it, built some bookcases. So today's the, the, the first podcast I'm doing from the new office. Awesome. Awesome. Your, your wife actually posted a lovely picture of that on Instagram. Yeah, it turned out really well. She was concerned that, you know, because I really like my basement office. Yeah, I yeah. really like my basement office. So yeah, she, she said, here's John happy as a clam uh, <laughs> putting up his books and his stupid Star Wars figures. <laughs> no, 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 no. Star Trek. Star Trek, right. Sorry. My bad. <laughs> Star, my Star Trek ships and my uh, Marvel figures. Uh, yes. My com- my office is completely now kitted out with all my geek stuff. So we're all I, geeks. I, we I feel understand. Like yeah. yeah. Aren't we all geeks? It's just yeah. what, it's just a matter of what you're a geek about. Exactly. Yeah. I have uh, I have a ton of horror stuff all over the place. <laughs> but uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about with the fearing that I thought was interesting is the last time we talked, we talked in depth about the first book and we ended with a pretty big scene where uh, Adam and Jelnick, they were surveying, you know, the chaos that was going on in the city at that time. And you, you opened that way with this book too, with a very, very intense first chapter but I thought it was interesting that you also took that opportunity, whereas you could have gone the easy route and just picked right up with Adam, mm-hmm. that you started by introducing a new character. And I was just curious if that was intentional from the beginning and how you felt about that. Well, here's where we get really honest, because um, I think a lot of people who have who've listened to these podcasts and who've heard me talk about the fearing realize that when I wrote it, I wasn't, I didn't, there was no, it wasn't written originally to be a serial novel. It was originally supposed to be just a complete novel. So when I presented it to Tony at Gray Matter and we talked about it and he came up with the idea of, you know, what would you think about serializing it? And I'm like, well, you know, let's take a look and and see how this thing would split up and, and what's the correct number of volumes we would split it up into. And, so we did that, and we didn't have to really do a whole lot. I didn't have to do a whole lot to do that. Um, and then when we got, uh, you know, when we got through Tony's edits and Sharon's edits, and we started to send it out with ARCs, um, one of the first people that got to read it was Alan Baxter. Um, you know, and I think most of your listeners know Alan. Um, mm-hmm. He's a really great uh, Aussie. Uh, writer who has done you know stuff his most recent works have been uh, Devouring Dark and Manifest Recall and his new collection of short stories is out which I wrote the introduction for 
um, called Serve Cold, which is really great. Well, anyway, Alan read the book and really liked it. And he had a couple of suggestions and, and realized that he read it. He read it all together, but he read it split up into the into the separate books that that it, it eventually uh, wound up as. Um, it it originally did open straight up with a continuation of what was going on in book one. Uh, the characters that you're referring to, Monday and uh, Mark, the Reverend didn't really appear until book three and he thought that that was too late he thought he thought that the story would would uh have benefited from introducing those two characters earlier on so you know i thought about it and i thought he was i thought he was dead on right um so we shifted a little thing a a few chapters out of book three into book two and well, most of that stuff, all of that stuff really was uh, chapters that involved Monday and Mark. Um, and then, you know, when I got to looking at the chapters that we were moving, it just seemed like that first first chapter where we introduce Mark um, was a real sort of, you know, grab you by the scruff of your neck and pull you along kind of chapter for the beginning. So that's what we went with. So. You know, the way that uh, reviewers and readers, uh, you know, what they're saying about book two, uh, you know, I really have to I really have to give all the credit to Alan because, (coughs) excuse me, without Alan's input, we likely would have just left it the way it was. Uh, But I think Alan's Alan's comment was was really cogent Um, and I think it worked. Alan's a smart dude. Alan is a smart dude and a great writer. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, I'd like to tell you that I was, you know, such a brilliant writer that this was all planned, but it wasn't. (laughs) Yeah, you're fucking brilliant, John. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because I I thought it I I like that change because it still hooks the reader, but it was kind of like a nice unexpected surprise to, you know, meet a new character right from the beginning. Well, and, you know, you don't know yet because you haven't read book three and obviously book four, but, yeah, Mark and Monday are are two very important characters for the the rest of the story, and Alan was entirely right. You know, these two characters are so important to the story, and yet you're not not, uh, unveiling them until book three. That just doesn't doesn't seem smart. And, and it, it <laughs> and it really kind of ramps up that yeah I can see where what he meant by that because you know immediately that these characters are somehow hugely important and it really ups the I don't want to say tension so much as anticipation yeah. I think well and to realize that that the story is a little bit bigger than just the two groups three I guess if we're counting Adam and Jonah but. Just right. the two groups that we've really followed. It's it's bigger than that. It starts to feel more epic. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that particularly that first chapter where I I introduce Mark and uh, you know I think that that like I said that you know when I when I looked at it, it was like well yeah duh this is exactly the the chapter to open this book with I mean because it's it really grabs you at least it, I thought it did. 
and the timing was kind of freaky for like when I, I read that chapter. Yeah. Shortly after I read that book, we had a storm rip across yeah. the Bahamas that uh, was really similar to something in your book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, I immediately thought that when I was watching the news and that thing, and I thought, wow, I just mm-hmm. read this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah I also- it's a slightly different, you know, what Mark goes through. It's it's a it's a kind of a, a different thing than really what the other two groups uh, that we meet in book one what they've gone through. So yeah, yeah, I well, thought that was. Go ahead, Shane. No, you're fine. Yeah, I thought that was interesting that you said that because you know he is a reverend and he's you know very you know, serious about his faith, it seems. And I thought it was interesting to take a look at the events of what's happening kind of through that prism of someone who has, you know, deeply held religious beliefs. And we also kind of see that in some of the later scenes, uh, even with Adam when he's in that big group with uh, all the other, you know, people in the hotel. Right, right. So I thought that was an interesting perspective because the way you introduce, you know, everybody's fears, that also creates for some scary, scary scenes for people who their biggest fear would be like the biblical apocalypse. Yeah, exactly. And I, I knew when I was writing the book that if if something like this were to actually happen, that would be a big part of it because there's a big, you know, there's a large percent of the population that still identifies as Christian or or religious at the very least, if, you know, not Christian than Jewish or Muslim or whatever, but, you know, faith based. So I, I felt like it had to be it had to be a part of the story. And to anyone who studied the Bible, which I did when I was a much younger man, yeah. um, that scares the fuck out of me thinking about what could possibly manifest. <laughs> well, it's, you know, and I think, you know, uh, without giving too much away with the rest of the story, this is where, you know, there there've been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of comparisons drawn between uh, the fearing and other apocalyptic books like Swan Song and The Stand. You know, both of which I I read a long time ago, both of which I I'm an enormous fan of both the books and their authors. But one of the things that always bugged me about The Stand was the end. Um, where you almost have the literal hand of God coming down and, you know, saving the day. That always bugged me. And so, again, without giving too much away, I wanted to look at that some of those faith-based fears in the book, but I think you're going to find that my uh, my end result for all of this is going to be substantially different. I hope so. Yeah, because I agree with you. That was uh, that. And a lot of people will get angry with me if they even listen to me, both of our listeners. <laughs> um, but uh, I felt like that was a sellout in the stand. Yeah, I, I yeah. agree. And I think, you know, the stand is one of my favorite King books. And it just seemed that that was just sort of, you know, and I'm not taking a swing, but I mean, it just seemed like that was kind of a cop out. Yeah, no, um, I don't. Anyone who heard that, I like John, I love that fucking book. Yeah, it's, so do I. I, I, 
you know, it's one of the few King books that I will go back and reread every once in a while just because it's so good. Yeah, same here. And it's just that, you know, it, almost all books have a point that niggles, you know. Oh, so yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully by the time that people get to the end of the fearing, they're going to see where, you know, uh, Uncle Steve and I part ways and. Hopefully, people will, you know, obviously, obviously, as an author, you really hope to to stick the dismount. So, I'm hoping that my end will will resonate with people as much as, you know, this, these first two books have have done seem to have done. Um, and they have actually, yeah, they do seem to have done quite well in the circles that I run yeah. in and that Rich does. Uh, I have not seen a soul who's read them that does not rave about them. So, yeah, uh, that's that's, you know, very uh, comforting after, you know, having spent so much time writing this damn thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you hate to think that anybody is going to hate your book, even if it only takes you a month to write it. But God, five years, six years. Aye, aye, aye. I always feel kind of bad when I read a book in a in a day and a half or a couple of sitting <laughs> with the knowledge yeah. in my head that the authors <laughs> just bled over this fucking thing. Oh, yeah. And I just went, oh, that was cool. What next? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know, what I've been hearing back from readers is, you know, they get these you know, shorter serialized chunks of the book and they rush through them. You know, that's that makes me feel great to, to think that people are getting these things. And pouncing on them the moment the moment they get them, and you know, tearing through them, you know, and and liking them at the end. So yeah, that's 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 pretty heady stuff for a writer. I can imagine. I can imagine. It's like I mean, just like Rich and I, everybody, we just no matter what we are doing with both books, drop every fucking thing I'm reading this mm-hmm. right now. And I literally open both books the second I open the package in them that came in the mail or well, came in my email. You know, I, I can't think of many things as a as an author that is that, you know that makes me feel better to hear than than something like that. So yeah. it's humbling, you know. With could, a, you know, thinking about all the stuff that people have got going on in their lives, and you think that you know as soon as they get this package, they tear it open and sit down and read it. That's pretty amazing the willingness to drop everything else yeah yeah dive in yeah yeah that's cool yeah i was the same way like as soon as i got it from tony i was like well i know what i'm doing tonight and (laughs) i just just blasted right through it i don't even think i stopped because i think it was a little bit later in the day well book three is about the same size as book one so it's about you know, 95, 100 pages, something like that. And then book four is about, I think it's about 180 pages, 180, 190 pages, something like that. Nice. So, a bit longer. Oh, yeah, but I'm definitely looking forward to that. Still of a length that people will tear through it. I'm quite sure of that. I hope so. I hope that by the time they get book four, they're like 200 pages. I don't fucking care. This is going down right now. So, uh, John, um, another yeah. thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, uh, Mark is I thought it was pretty cool. And also, like I said, it made for some tense scenes that he 
like right off the bat, he's kind of faced with his own like moral code without going into spoiling it. Mm-hmm. But I thought that was pretty cool. And actually, even more than once, kind of in succession. Like right, he's, right. He's grappling with this new reality that he's faced with. And I thought that was cool, and it made for some very tense scenes. And I was just curious. I know you probably loved all of your characters, but was this one maybe a little bit more, a little bit more special? Because it seems like right off the bat, he's kind of, he kind of experiences a more personal reaction with, you know, his fears. I mean, the other characters, their fears were relevant to them, but it didn't mm-hmm. necessarily involve others. I think that, you know, I'm certainly no one's uh, choice for a pastor uh, for any religion. Um, but I think that, you know, what resonated for me uh, with the character of Mark was, and you'll see more of this in books three and four, is his struggle with his faith. Um, and, you know, what it means in a world that is kind of falling apart like this. And what ultimately do you rely on to pull yourself and your fellow, you know, humans out of that this kind of a trough you know is it is it you know can you rely on god to do something like this is it more of an individual thing um and i think you know what i tried to do was to be uh sensitive to that even though i'm not again a, a religious person i and you know i'm pretty much of a you know agnostic um but i was raised you know i was raised catholic and and went through all that. Um, but, you know, I wanted to I wanted to put him into the book in a way that wasn't taking a poke at Christianity or, or taking a poke at a, at a, you know, a specific flavor of Christianity. I wanted to make sure that he wasn't in the book to represent some sort of deep seated antipathy that I had <laughs> towards, you know, Christianity or, or whatever flavor. So it it was really important to me that he he Mark comes off in a particular kind of way that isn't insulting to anybody that has that faith. But because real. I, yeah, I, it certainly was not in my, my intention. Um, and yeah, I can I can see it doesn't read that way. It reads like I say, it just real, you know, because mm-hmm. I can see things like there's a certain point in the book when he looks up at the sky and basically says, really. Right. You know, <laughs> and it's like, well, yeah, this is exactly how at that point in time you would have to yeah. react. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah I, I don't think I like I said, I'm not uh, would have never chosen to go into that field. Um, but I think that if I did, I think that I I think, you know, we're all human. So we'd have the same sort of human reactions to stuff. Um and hopefully I was, I was true to the character in that. Uh, and like I said, Mark is a very important, uh, very important character to the, to the, you know, the thrust of the story. Um, so it's important that, that readers be able to, you know, it was important for me from the outset that readers be able to identify with him, even if they're not a, a terribly religious person, which I'm not either, so. Uh, I'm I'm hardcore atheist, and Mark is my favorite character in the book so far. 
Well, I think he's got a lot, you know, there's a lot of my, uh, there's a lot of my sensibility built into that character, I guess. And I guess if there's any one character that I would say is most like me, that, you know, that I'm projecting myself onto the page, it's probably, it's probably him. Even though I'm not a Baptist, I'm not a pastor, I'm not, you know, any of those things. Far Um, from it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so far from it. Um, but, you know, hopefully that, that you know, I have friends who are very religious and, and my hope would be that, that, you know, if and when they were to read this, they wouldn't be insulted by that character. Right. And I, I know I don't some, think they will be. But now nah, some of the reviewers that you even know, and I won't mention them here, but I can mention them offline. uh are highly religious and love the book. Mm-hmm. So I don't think you're pissing anybody off so far. Well, that's good. Uh, my The new anthology I'm putting together that, that I think I tech tweeted about today, Yeah, that's that's probably likely going to piss some people off. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you can read into that what you will. Well, as long as you go into it knowing you're well, pissing people off, it's fine. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I... I you know, definitely Mark was a character that I want people to relate to. So um, I hopefully have been able to do that on the page. Hey, remind me, Rich, um, we're going to we're going to continue talking about the fearing. But remind me to talk about some of that other stuff John mentioned earlier <laughs> before okay, we cut it. this. All right. All right. So um, moving on, not moving on, but um, I've been th- thinking about uh glenn and rich and marcia and them their party mm-hmm. um they're going through some interesting stuff and it's really hard to talk about them without really really fucking up the story <laughs> well i mean i think that you know when, when uh you and rich and i talked about doing these things we we realized we we're going to be steering into spoiler territory so I guess maybe this is a time where we just have to say, you know, deep spoiler yeah. alert here. If you don't want to hear anything more about this particular book, then you probably best to tune out. Yeah, and that's at this point in time I say this is a minor spoiler, but mm-hmm. uh, those characters, um, thanks largely to what is his name, Charles, or um, yeah, anyway, Charles yeah, they're they're starting to figure out kind of in a, vaguely what the fuck is going on. Yeah, Charles was my, uh, you know, I needed to have somebody in the book. You know, somebody in the book has got to start figuring out what's going on here, or at least come up with a working theory. And and Charles was my intellectual. Um, So Charles is the one who's who in this book is starting to put pieces together. And, you know, Charles is not 100 percent right, but he's pretty close. Yeah, yeah, I just thought, I found that interesting because it starts building the tension because you can see where they're starting to go. Okay, we know sort of what's happening, but why? Right, and I think the probably, uh, and I think it's in this book. I can't remember, but I at some point what they realize when they start to realize that his, what he's saying is probably accurate. That it's pretty close to being accurate. You start to realize there's no stopping this. There's no magical incantation. There's no burning incense. There's no beating the devil. There's no stopping this. Yeah, you're not going to band together and resist anything when you don't even know what 
for sure to resist in the yeah, first place. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, they, I mean, they're really kind of a key turning point to a lot of things in the story for me in my mind anyway. Um, I have a vivid imagination though. <laughs> uh, well, I, you know, I think what, what the scenes you're talking about were important for me is, is for readers to start to get the sense that, that what is going on is not a, is not a bug in the system. It's a feature of the system. Right. Right. And so there's really no way of stopping it. So yeah. what, what does that do to the character's mindset when it becomes a, less of a we've got to figure out how to stop this and we just got to figure out how to survive this yeah yeah and and it's kind of like they're doing that they're figuring out that yeah we just need to figure out how to survive there through their eyes also we start to kind of see the deterioration of society that would happen in a situation like that right yeah and i know what you're talking about uh, yeah uh, the one of the more oogie scenes that you know i wrote you know oogie in the sense of me feeling oogie about it um but i think it was an important scene and i think it stays true to the character of charles that that would be you know high up on his list of fears yeah yeah and i i agree it's uh it's kind of stomach churning, but at the mm-hmm. same time, it was a, it felt like a necessary scene to me. Right. And I, uh, I mean, unfortunately, you look around at the way that the United States is going these days. You think that <laughs> sometimes when I wake up, that doesn't seem that far off. <laughs> not not in the slightest. <laughs> right. <laughs> but for permission. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just like he said, that's one of the things that I picked up on was some of these, you know, kind of going back to even Mark's stuff, but even the people that were in the building with uh, Adam is that we start to see like more even realistic type of fears. Like there were some other ones in there, but it's stuff that's deeply personal to people, but it's also like very relevant. Yeah, relevant. (laughs) That relevant, just be yeah. relevant and prevalent. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. It's a new term. <laughs> but yeah, like, uh, you know, there's a lot of real world issues that show up in this. And I thought it was interesting that it started to veer that way. Yeah, I, I think as you get into uh, books three and four, you're going to see a little bit more of uh, what Shane and you both have alluded to, which is sort of this real world stuff that is now, you know, what is happening? What are people doing because of all this stuff and how are they getting along together? And what, you know, what's going on to the fabric of society, not just individual people or, or groups of people who are experiencing these fears, but what is this doing to the fabric of society of those people who are left? Um, yeah. And that's exactly, exactly what I was alluding to. Mm-hmm. Um, because you start to see how, people's fit not just people's fears but their reaction to those fears start to start right. to really um create this domino effect right and you can you can sort of you know if you if you're a student of history and i read a lot of history you can sort of see perhaps uh, a glimmer of what lay lies ahead in books three and four you know what is what is the fear uh, 
at a societal level, what does it do to people? What 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 do they seek out when you've got fear deeply embedded in a society? They seek out certain things, and you're going to see some of those certain things crop up. Yeah, oh. and then go ahead, Shane. No, no, I was just going to say, Richard, you there, your turn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the other thing, and this is another mild spoiler for anyone listening, is uh, when Charles is going over his theory, mm-hmm. one thing that I thought was cool was with some apocalyptic stories, not all depending on what the genesis of it is, mm-hmm. is that he says that you know the releasing of these fears, it's not necessarily to you know, kill everyone off or hurt everyone. It just kind of is. And if people die, it's not the design of that. It just kind of is. It's not its goal or, you know, whatever's causing this is goal to kill everyone off. It's just doing what it does. And I, I, to me anyway, that makes it even scarier because it's, it's implacable. Yeah. And it's not, you know, whether it's someone controlling it or just a, you know, thing that was built in to their reality, right. it's scary that, you know, it's not taking anybody into account. It just kind of does what it does and whatever the fallout is, right. is. Yeah, I, I again, this goes back to the whole uh, religious overlay. Um, and I wanted to make sure that there was no there was no consciousness behind what was going on here that, that it was simply, uh, I describe it in the book, it's a mechanism and the mechanism needs to reset itself. And if the mechanism can reset itself and nobody dies, great. If the mechanism needs to reset itself and everybody dies, great. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The mechanism. It's a completely impassive. Right thing and and that's scary it's like you know the aforementioned storms they're impassive they don't give a shit what they tear apart in their wake and uh that's like rich said that makes it even more scary really because there's no reasoning with a thing like that exactly i mean you know not that this was the driving force behind uh the way i set this up but you know being a star trek fan this is the board from the next generation it's an implacable foe that can't be reasoned with or bargained with or you know uh, you don't sign a peace treaty with it. it it just is and it it exists to do its thing and it's going to do its thing um regardless of whether you pray to it you know run from it it doesn't matter yeah yeah um sorry rich i took over your your train of thought no, that's all good. That's all I wanted to really comment on about that particular topic was I just I thought it was unique that it wasn't the apocalypse that they're facing wasn't, you know, something trying to exterminate them. Right. It, they're just kind of in in this situation and it's just doing what it does. Right. The other the other big driving force behind that was that I didn't want a lot of apocalyptic literature there is an event that that ushers this all in and then the rest of the book is usually spent trying to you know prevent the end result of that or just to survive it 
And what I wanted to do with the way that this is all unfolding in the fearing is to let to have the reader always be on the edge of thinking this isn't over. You know, whatever happened in book one, it's not over. It's not going to be over in book two. It's not going to be over in book three. It's not going to be over in book. Well, it will be over in book four, I guess. But, um, you know, every every book has within it every serialized book of this this thing has within it the ability for this thing to keep expanding and to keep going. Kind um, of the the story itself is the event. Yeah. Yeah, it's not just like a, a virus or, or, or a meteorite hit or, you know, anything like that. This is just going and going and going and changing and, you know, yeah. So that was a big, that was a big part of, you know, when I was laying the groundwork for this thing, that was a big part of it. Yeah, and it's it's cool that you've mentioned that, too, because when you're saying it's not just like one inciting incident, it's kind of all of those things and mm-hmm. none, of, none of those things right. at the same time. And, you know, it, I think it makes it, that's one of the things that makes it such a gripping story is you don't know what's going on. Like I thought I had an idea and being that this is only book two, so it's kind of the halfway point, but not sure. really. Right laying out Charles's theory so early and even still not having an idea of, you know, like, Oh, I know where this story's going. Right. I think that was a really nice touch. Cause it's like, they have this main theory already, but you know that there's so much more going on. And right. even that theory doesn't give it away. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I, that was, that at least was done by design. Yeah, and that's why I wasn't really too too worried about spoiling too much mentioning that about Charles because it doesn't it doesn't reveal anything about where the hell this story is going <laughs> to yeah. go. No, not really. It it really doesn't. I mean, it, it gives you you know, hopefully it gives the reader some something to latch onto. And like I said, Charles is fairly close to what is actually happening, but he's not 100% close. Right. Right. And meanwhile, Adam and Jelnick are making their way west. Yeah. You know, good old, good old Adam, who obviously uh, most people have, have clued into the fact that he is the antagonist of this. But exactly what kind of an antagonist, I, I don't think, at least in this book, I don't think by reading this book, I don't think you're you're 100 percent there with him either. Yeah. yeah. I don't think so, because uh, like you said, there's events in here where it kind of makes you like he's obviously an antagonist, but it makes you question, you know, just how much like how much of an importance he has. Like he's obviously a central figure, but it seems like there's a lot more going on there um, based off of stuff that happens to him even physically during some of their travels. Yeah, but he's um, kind of evolving as a character, too, from uh, like in book one, I, I it was kind of clear, but not clear to me whether he was a malevolent or just, mm-hmm. a, you know, um, just a pawn. Um, and in book two, it becomes a little bit clearer which side of that fence he lands on. Yeah, I think that, 
you know, Adam's uh, trip as a character is, is, you know, the further along we get with him, the more you realize that he's coming into his own and he's beginning to realize he probably started off in book one, not exactly realizing who he was and what he was. Um, but, you know, the further we get into the story, the further he becomes conscious of, of what his role is in all of this. Uh, and he embraces it. And seems to be, uh, what do I want to say, kind of polishing the abilities that he suddenly has. Yeah, I think he's, you know, at first it was happening and he really didn't know what, if anything, he was doing. Um, but I think as you hit, as he hits his stride in book two, and certainly as you get into the further books, he is very aware of of what it is he's doing and what role he is playing in all this. So, uh, yeah. And there's a key point at which that kind of, that scale kind of tips. Right. Um, and I'm not, I'm not really going to uh, talk about that because that is a spoiler. Of yeah. That's proportion. That's, that's pretty, that's pretty epic. Yeah. <laughs> so that's just a teaser. <laughs> Fuck you people. <laughs> <laughs> but, but in a good way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> And so uh, we talked a lot, too, about uh, Mark, but uh, the other new character, like you mentioned earlier, is Monday. And I think their relationship is interesting, to say the least, because she's kind of, when we meet her, you know, she's younger, but she also seems to have amnesia, which I don't think is too big of a spoiler. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought it was interesting that as they're, you know, once they meet and they kind of feel each other out because their actual meeting was kind of intense. Right. That it almost seems like Mark kind of looks more to her as kind of, you know, I don't want to say leader, but kind of looks to her more than she may look to him, at least initially. I, you know, I, I, I think that that as people read uh, about Mark and Monday, they're going to realize that at some point, um, Mark begins to realize that there's a lot more to her than what she's letting on. And, you know, his, his dilemma is, is that conscious or unconscious? Is, does she really not know or does she know and she's keeping it from him? Um, but I, I will say that to me, at least, uh, if if I were going to put my finger on the defining relationship that kind of is the through line for the entire book, it's the relationship between Mark and Monday. Yeah, and I, I think, um, too, um, an interesting thing that she says, I'm not going to say exactly, but I think it's interesting you mention that because you kind of give readers a clue maybe at least a little bit with something she says in there that I'll mm-hmm. let people discover for themselves. But I saw that and I was like, wait a second. <laughs> that's I'm like, that's I'm like, and then I thought about it some more about what she said. And I'm like, you know, I was like, that's, that's pretty interesting. And he, he snuck that in there, but it's something that I think people, it'll get people thinking a lot about, you know, possibilities, which is cool because, 
I think overall so far, all of these books, it tells its own story, but it also leaves a lot of stuff there while readers are reading it to come up with like all of these different scenarios. Yeah. And that's, you know, when we looked at it from a, from the standpoint of a serial novel, we, we really did want to go through and make sure that there were little things, little, at least little hints of things, breadcrumbs um, yeah. throughout the story that would, you know, it, it, even if they don't point you in the right direction, they get you thinking uh, kind of, of, of what the possibilities might be. Kind of like a, a combination of, of breadcrumbs mixed with enough ambiguity to make exactly. you want to. Exactly. Yeah. I don't want, you know, I, I want people to start thinking about Mark and Monday and their relationship and what's going on. But I, when when that is finally revealed, I, I still want you to get the, oh, oh, okay. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Rather than, oh, well, I saw that coming like a freight train back in book, you know, too. <laughs> um, so, and hopefully I did that. I think that, again, if I, if I was able to succeed at getting people at least thinking about all that, then, then that's really, you know, that's really all I needed to do. Right. Which kind of leads to a, I mean, another thing, speaking of Mark and Monday and, and that stuff, um, this cast has expanded to an impressive degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yet you manage to keep the readers, me anyway, engaged with every single one of these groups to a point that I can tell you in detail what these people have gone through and what they're going through. And, oh, um, that's terrific. I mean, that's the key, isn't it? I mean, if you write an apocalyptic thing like this, you, you not that you're locked into it, but you, it's reasonable to assume that there's going to be a large cast of characters in this. Yeah, and um, if you're, you're juggling all, all these different balls, and if you drop one of those, they all drop. Yeah, and I have to tell you that that at the very beginning of this book, that was one of the things that really, really uh, concerned me to the point where I dawdled a lot in the early part of it when I had sort of outlined, you know, the way that I wanted the book to go. Um, you know, there was an entire uh, there was an entire another group of people that I was going to be talking about and covering and juggling and, you know, not just another group, but, you know, multiple members within that group. And it just got to be really daunting. And, and I went to uh, Tom Monteleone's uh, Borderlands boot camp. I guess this would have been in 2016. And I workshopped uh, what basically became the first 40 pages of book one. Um, and in those workshops with, with, you know, Douglas Winter and Monteleone and F. Paul Wilson and, you know, you lucky fucker. Ah, uh, it was great. <laughs> it was fantastic. Um, and one of the things that, that Tom, I think it was that had told me when I was trying to, you know, you know, jot out what I was planning for this. You know, and how, you know, I was really daunted by writing it, and I kind of was frozen by it. He was like, you know, you're the author. Cut one whole group out. And I was like, you know, 
like the heavens parted and angels sang and and it's like oh wow i have permission to do that i mean <laughs> you know he's like yeah you're the author do whatever you want and i was like i you know it didn't even occur to me and really that was the biggest part that fell into place that that got me back on track with writing because i was like i don't need to talk about this other group of people at all we don't need to talk about them at all um and not only did that cut probably at least 100 or so pages out of the book, but it made the 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 plotting of it, uh, you know, who needed to be where for what, a whole lot easier. And a lot less intimidating, I would imagine. Oh, yeah, I think that was the key to it is sort of like, oh, you mean I don't have to talk about these other, you know, six people that I had been, you know, planning to talk about? Jesus, Joseph and Mary. Great. Fantastic. <laughs> I can sure tell you you have a Catholic background. <laughs> uh, yeah, it shines through every once in a while, no matter how badly I tamp it down. Yeah, I'm Irish, so I... <laughs> me those, too. Th those we things come that. through in me too. But yeah, I, you know, um, it, was an, it was an important thing to me, even once I decided that that whole group of people I didn't need to talk about anymore, was that the group of the groups of people that I had in that I knew I was going to talk about, every one of them has ha, had to be a fully realized character distinct from every other character that I talked about in the book. It, you know, there was not, and, and, you know, I knew I was going to be writing in, in a, not exactly a shorthand, but you know, this book was not going to be an 800 page book. So I had to uh, create characters with a real, you know, with kind of a shorthand, you know, because every one of these characters that that I've ended up with the story is important to some aspect of the story. And it's important to me that you relate to all of them on some level about something, because stuff's going to happen where I want you to have. You know, obviously, I'm the king of pain for reasons, you know, there there are going to be some things that are going to happen as We'll, we may discuss at the end of this book. Okay. You're um, going to kill my friends, aren't you, John? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, stuff's going to happen. I mean, even from a character like Carly, who, you know, starts out in book one as, as someone whose, you know, sympathy is, you know, a little harder to generate than, than others. You know, Carly will have an arc that uh, hopefully you're going to sympathize with her a little bit more. And, you know, so, you know, it did, it's very important to me that all these characters come across as real people that, that you empathize with and you can put yourself in their place so that when the things that happen to them happen to them, you have the, the emotions that I want you to have. Oh. Yeah, and I think that succeeds very well because sometimes with whether it's one big book or, you know, a series, you know, that one comes to mind immediately for me is Game of Thrones. Right. I loved those books, but there's so many characters in there. Like half the time I have to I have to stop and get, <laughs> like flip back and be like, who the hell right. is this guy? Or, yeah. Whereas with this one. Like, I don't need to flip back every section, you know, even if it's a little while before we get back to them, it picks up naturally, which I think is a big benefit because some of these bigger sprawling books, 
it's a little bit harder where you might have to flip back, you know, 50. Yeah. And I, you know, once again, once I got that permission from, from Monteleone that, you know, you can do whatever you want. It's your book. Um, that seemed to open it up to me, not just to make it a little less intimidating as a writer to put this all together, but also to be able to, to have a big cast of characters, but a, but a cast of characters that was manageable in terms of, of creating, you know, empathy and building up, you know, so that people realize, remember who they are without having to flip back like that. Yeah. And then, um, two, one thing I wanted to touch on, and I'm sure maybe this is just a personal thing. Some people may not feel necessarily the same way. I thought by far this was like your scariest and like your scariest book, in my opinion. And some of the scenes even kind of surprised me. Like, I couldn't yeah. believe it. Like, uh, you know, there's the one scene where Monday and Mark, they come across that swamp. Yeah. And like the images they see there, or even that opening scene, because some of the other stuff I've read has been scary, but it, ne- it hasn't necessarily been that, um, let's maybe even gruesome isn't really the word, but some of them are gruesome. And I was like, wow, I definitely did not expect that in this book. And I was just curious, you know, what was it like for you writing that? Have you written more like over the top type stuff like that? Or was this something you just tried with this particular book? You know, most of my stuff tends to be more toward that quiet, uh, a gradual building of dread and everything. Um, this this seemed to be a book that at least, uh, uh, you know, in some places I knew would require me to, you know, really double down on the horror rather than, you know, try to creep around or to be subtle or or whatever. You know, all this stuff is happening. And I think on some level you've got to show the reader you can't just allude to it. Um, you know, you really have to, some of this stuff has got to be shown to the reader so that the reader appreciates the, the, you know, the sort of spectacular nature of all this stuff that's going on. And, you know, so yeah, I, I knew going in that there were going to be certain, certain things that I was going to want to touch on that were going to be less, you know, John F.D. Taft, King of Pain, and more John F.D. Taft, horror writer, um, you know, pulling some stuff out that maybe readers are not quite as accustomed to getting from me as an author uh, as they would, uh, you know, another author writing something else. So, and, you know, that's fun to do. It's fun to, to go outside your you know, you're, I don't know if it's my comfort zone, but it's, it's definitely outside of the way that I normally approach things. Um, but I thought it was, uh, I thought it was necessary and I thought it was integral to the, to the, the kind of story I was laying down to, you know, like I said, not just, I think there was that wonderful, I, and I can't remember where I read this, uh, I think it might have been Straub talking about uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne, or maybe it was King talking about Nathaniel Hawthorne, that he doesn't he doesn't show you the accident. He just shows you the bloody, you know, the bloody upholstery 
Um, and you, he lets your mind work at what the accident was. But sometimes you got to show the accident. You, yeah, you know? embra- embrace your inner Ketchum and just really, right. really shock the fuck out of people. And I think that that, especially in a book like this where, you know, some of the stuff is is fairly impersonal, like the natural disaster kind of stuff, the stuff that, that I choose to concentrate on and get a little bit more into the nitty-gritty details, you know, what I was hoping is that they would jut out a little bit more and have a little bit more of an effect on the reader because, you know, the, the whole book is not like that. You know, that these, you know, that these areas are jumping out at you now because the rest of the book is not. It does make it stand out more like that. Yeah, because it's it's shocking to, mm-hmm. to the senses, you know, because you're going along at a certain, you know, um, you're ne- never not scared in this book, I don't think. But you have points where it's like, oh, my fucking God. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I think that 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 probably it moves on the or my hope anyway, was that the whole book moves on a spectrum from uncomfortable, you know, this is uncomfortable to this is scary to, oh, my God, I, you know, this is practically a this needs a trigger warning or something. So. um, So, yeah, I think that that was, uh, you know, that was a good observation that was definitely, again, that was baked into the cake, I think, when I when I started to think about how the story was going to come together. Yeah, and then you, of course, um, do your thing and wrap the whole thing up with a massive fucking <laughs> gut punch. <laughs> yeah, and you yeah. know, the funny thing about that, and I guess we're going to talk about this because it bears talking about. So, uh, you know, let's just say major spoilers coming out right now. Huge. Um, that was something that we didn't have to move. That was at, that came at the end of a certain point of the book. And I think when Tony and I decided uh, this thing was going to be four, four books, we, we, we instantly knew that that was going to have to be the end of book two, because how can you not, I mean, how can you not do that? (laughs) What do you, what do you follow that with without keeping the whole rest of the book being scenes like that? Right. That that is the end. And if it wasn't the end, it was going to have to be moved to be the end. So uh, and and. You know, several people have brought this up who have read the book. Um, uh, it, it made me, you know, quote unquote, it made me realize that nobody's safe in the story. Fuck yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, if sure. you're reading a John Taft story, you should know that going in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and there wasn't, you know, and I guess when any author goes through something like this, it, probably people handle it differently. But I never, uh, you know, it never was planned from the start of the book that that this would happen to this character. I guess I'm dancing around. Should I just go ahead and say it? I'm fine with it. You won't spoil anything for me. I mean, Sarah's character was not planned from the beginning to die. Um, In fact, nobody was. You know, I, I started my career as a writer as an outliner, and I would outline, you know, pretty, pretty heavily. 
And, you know, when I wrote The Fearing, I was not outlining. I take notes. I jot things down and that kind of stuff. But there was no built-in life-death character arc for any of these characters. I just let the story take me to where it seemed like the story wanted to go. And as I got to that point in, in, in what became book two, with Carly and with Kyle and with Sarah, it just seemed like it was building to a head and something needed to happen. Um, and, you know, it just seemed like she was the, you know, it, it would have been ridiculous to kill Carly. People don't like yeah. her. You know, yeah, you needed, you needed the sympathetic character in that yeah. situation. And um, Sarah is, was a lovely character and I hated seeing her go. And in fact, I, I recall, you know, Josh Mailerman was one of the first people that read the whole thing, you know, back before we even had thought about splitting up into serialized books. And he started texting me the moment that he read uh, that that chapter in the in the book and just, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I can't <laughs> believe you did that. Oh, my God. I bet. Josh is such an emotional person oh, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but even he said after he calmed down he said yeah that was a that was a brave choice but that was the choice to make um yeah and you know and i i needed to amp up emotions at that point and i also needed i needed readers to know that you, you know none of these characters are safe i mean they weren't safe when i was writing them i you know so yeah, there's, there's, as I keep saying with every one of these books, it gets worse. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have no, I have no doubt about that, but um, that's one of the reasons why I asked the question about, you know, the more gruesome stuff is like, I, I didn't expect any of that. And then when that happened and when, <laughs> I went, she died and stuff. And I, like, I knew it was getting to the end. And I'm like, okay, you know, they're facing off. And then that happened. I, I literally like I knew there's only like two pages. I'm like, what the fuck, John? <laughs> I'm like, and I'm like, there's no way because we see this like progression of her and Kyle getting together. And then when that happens, I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> I'm like, this is this is crazy. Well, and then you <laughs> yeah, you wind it you wind it up with the most poignant line you may right. have ever written. <laughs> Well, and you know, again, I I liked Sarah as a character. She was she was great, and you know, my hope is that as you read further along the book, that that relationship she has with Kyle changes who he is as a person, as a character in the book for the remainder of the books. Um, so, you know, it wasn't just a question of uh, somebody's got to die. Let's just pick somebody and move on. Her death plays a role in the development of that, the character of Kyle, that, that hopefully that readers will see pays off in the, in the later books. But it was, you know, I don't want to, you know, it's funny because, and I, I've talked about this before, I, I feel a great weird sense of responsibility for my characters. Um, I don't like uh, I don't like stories that leave characters twisting in the wind or stories that are unnecessarily. This is, I mean, it just sounds so 
pussy-ish to say, but I, I don't like stories that are unnecessarily mean to characters without offering that character some sense of redemption, hope, something. Closure, yeah. Yeah, and maybe, you know, and I know a lot of people don't like that in horror. Um, I know that some people don't think that that has a valid role to play in horror. And, you know, my attitude about that is who cares what you think? Write your own stories. Yeah, Yeah, and Um, I think there's a need for both closure and ambiguity in horror. I don't think it should all just be you don't know for sure because what the fuck, man? But I, I, but I, I don't like when a story... Just leaves a guy, a character twisting in the wind, and and I just think it's, I I feel this weird sense of responsibility to the characters I put on the page, um, and I don't like to, you know, sometimes things have to happen because the story is the story and it stuff's got to happen, but you know you've got to you got to balance that out with hopefully moving the story along at some deeper level than just the it you know other than just a plot point, um, and my hope is that you know Sarah Sarah's death in the in the you know the guts of the story and, and the story that's got to play out in the next two books. Hopefully that people will see that 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 pays off. Right. Yeah. I I think it does, and it one of the things that was cool is how you said you had the. You know, John Taft, the king of pain, and John Taft, the horror writer. Mm-hmm. I think the way that you kind of, especially that scene in particular, it kind of brought both of those together. And I feel like it it really amplified it because it had some of that really heavy, scary, you know, vicious stuff in it. And then, you know, some of the more emotional stuff that you've become known for and well, I, that I combination think, was great. Yeah, and I think that that was important to me at that point because, you know, I wanted it, – it's like I'm saying as an author, okay, sure, you know, if you're accustomed to reading my work, yeah, death is sad and, and death is emotional and everything. But you know what? Sometimes death is messy and ugly and brutal and, and you know, horrible. And and I wanted to. I, it was important to me to be able to combine both of those. And uh, unexpected, I think. Yeah, and unexpected that it's you know this character you thought was you know you I really like this character and I could see this character going all the way to the end of the book. Well, no, because sometimes that doesn't happen. Yeah, because it started out. I'm looking at Sarah thinking final girl. Yeah, right. You know, come out and come out book two going. Yeah, she's final, all right. Yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, I hopefully any of the other characters that may or may not meet their demise between now and the end of the book, I hopefully you're going to feel the same thing that, oh, God, I really I was really rooting for them to make it to the very end. Um, and I'm really pissed off and, and, you know, bummed out and pissed off at Taft for for doing that. But um well, that and I, there was a moment right right there when I realized what was going on, um, you know, and the whole arms of high school crush thing and everything. Right. It's like at first I went, John, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, I mean, mission accomplished there because that's what should happen. <laughs> but I knew I knew I yeah, I knew it. Tony knew it. 
Josh knew it when he read it. Everybody knew when, it, when people, you know, read to that point, they were going to, you know, they may be cursing my name and everything, but hopefully they're all going to be seeing it. This is what uh, this is what a, a good story does. It, it it causes you to invest feelings in a character. And sometimes those characters don't make it. Um, well, and that's important to the story, like you say. If they, if everybody's going to make it, why write the story? Well, yeah, there, you know, if everybody's safe, there's really not a whole lot of dramatic tension going on in the story. Yeah, at that point in time, I'm not interested. Right, so, exactly. Yeah. But she so, was a she was a hard character to kill. I will I will I will say that. I bet she was. I bet she. But it it's kind of like the thing I find interesting about it is what you were talking about about. I mean, I kind of hate the word pantser, but about you being that way is that it kind of uh, unexpected unexpected things happen even for you that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And And the things that are surprises to you end up being even bigger surprises to your readers. Yeah, I think that that, you know, really, if you want to surprise your readers, let the story surprise you as an author. Because yeah. if yeah. if you are surprised sitting there writing all this down, it's a pretty safe bet that the people who are reading it are going to be just as surprised, if not more surprised. Um, and that's the beauty of, you know, getting to the point where you trust yourself as you're as you're writing to let the story go in a direction. You know, you know, sometimes you will go down a dead end um, that doesn't doesn't work, doesn't pay off, doesn't make sense, whatever. And you got to kind of go back and and tear it up and and start, you know, from where the the road branched. But you know, sometimes, and I think more often than not, it leads you in this almost miraculous kind of story direction that you would have never probably been able to to plot out from the beginning. Um. Yeah, and it's a, it is uh, thus far one hell of a story. So don't drop the ball, Taff. <laughs> Well, it's it's too late. I I, I've made the final changes to book four. It's all set in concrete at this point. I think if I were to suggest one more change to Tony, he would probably drive (laughs) down from Chicago and kill me. So Uh, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you to pull it off. But one of the nice things about the yeah, we talked about this last time. One of the nice things about the serial approach this it it has allowed me to go in and fine tune a little uh you know book one comes out we get a little bit of feedback um we got some feedback from the arcs i was able to go in and fine tune book two and three and four and you know and then we you know a few more people read arcs and we made some changes to to book four not anything huge but you know little nudges here and there and uh, moving things around. And, you know, that has been a a joy, really, because usually, you know, as an author, you write the story, you go through the edits, it's done. It it goes out into the wild and it is done. And it's kind of cool as a reader. um, If you go into it with that knowledge, it's kind of like you're reading the book as John is writing the book. Sort of. Yeah. I mean, there were no, I mean, even the stuff that Alan, uh, you know, was smart enough to 
push my nose into. The stuff is already written. I just had to move it oh, around. Yeah. But, you know, there haven't been any huge, you know, Tony, uh, uh, during his initial read, thought I needed to add a chapter at the very, very end that, that would sort of expand on some things and clarify some things. So I did that. But there hasn't been any huge course corrections, but little tweaks here and there that, again, you wouldn't normally be able to do after the release of a book. So, yeah, that's kind of cool. I don't know that I'll ever be able to convince Tony or anybody else who will be able to convince Tony to do a serialized book again. <laughs> Especially not with Tab. Because I, I pressed no. him uh, a couple weeks ago about something, and he was like, excuse me, I'm right in the middle of putting five books out in the next four months. <laughs> you know, your four books and then Alan's book. Uh, I'm a little busy. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. Sorry. Like oops but i'm the author it's all about me exactly but one more thing <laughs> <laughs> but i you know i really hope that uh people who have read book two are now you know really hooked on the whole story you know obviously the thing about a serialized book is if you you know you don't hook people in the first book or the second book chances are they're not going to buy the other two. So it was always really important for us to be able to do this, but it's still gratifying to, to, you know, to hear what's going on out with readers and reviewers and, and stuff. And I think, I think that, yeah, it's been highly successful and that with the first book, I really, really wanted to read the next book, which is important. Mm -hmm. Like you say with the second book, intensify that by about 10 times by the time you end that book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I remember when both of us finished that one, you know, because we read them a little bit early to do right. reviews and prepare for this. As soon as we finished the second one, we're like, I wonder when we can get a uh, Tony, <laughs> get us that third book. <laughs> you should be getting, you should be getting uh, book three, I think fairly soon. I mean, they might have, already be in the in shipping um he was teasing that the other day on on twitter so and he doesn't do that unless he's either done it or he's really really close to sending it out so yeah he's always very vague and quiet about things until <laughs> right. it's a done deal because he but doesn't want to be bugged about it that's like the thing is is that an arc of these books right now though if even if he sent out the arcs three days before the book was going to release, they still, it still would have been read and reviewed probably 50 <laughs> times. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, it's, it's, it's been very humbling. It really has. Um, the response to the book has been, has been really humbling. Yeah. And that's, and that's great because one thing I knew, even when I read the first one, but especially the second one and how it, how it gripped me and like how it made me feel about, you know, my own reading journey, I guess you would call it, is mm -hmm. it's been cool to see everybody talking about it and having different theories about it. And you don't really get to have that experience too much. Like with a regular novel, you know, people right. can talk about it, but it's kind of when they get it and read it, it's already complete. Whereas with this, there's still right. more to come. 
And I think that is cool. And we've had other guests on the show where we've kind of mentioned the serial format and especially your book. And Mm -hmm. I know a lot of them would like to try it. Like even last week, uh, Michelle Garza, she did the Silverwood serial with Keen and all them. And I asked her if she would want to do that with one of their books. And she said, yeah. And I think it would be... I think it would be cool to see more authors get into that, whether it's, you know, a full novel or even just interconnected stories that come out every so often. I think it's good for fans and, you know, getting them to have a dialogue about stories. Well, especially in this day and age, when you think about Uh like like when the Green Mile came came out, I couldn't talk about it with anybody who wasn't in my own town and I could walk up to their house and walk on their door. You know, but now I can talk to hundreds of people about this book all at the same time. Well, I think, you know, you you guys have hit on it and some other viewers have hit on it is that it really becomes more of an event than than just the release of the book. It really becomes this thing that starts to take on a life of its own. And, you know, Tony and I were hopeful that, that would happen as we were putting this together, but we had, you know, there was no, there was no guarantee, you know, that it would be embraced the way that it has been embraced. And, you know, and again, you know, we, we also knew we were very, very aware. I probably more so than him, although that's arguable that, you know, people don't like the first one. The whole thing is shot. <laughs> Absolutely, you know? yeah. People don't like that first book. They're not going to check in for the second, third, and fourth. So you're done. Yeah, books two through four were a waste of time at that point in time. Right. So I have I've held my breath and crossed my fingers as each one of these has released. Um, and I don't know, you know, frankly, that I feel any different with book three coming up. I still can't believe we're almost to the point where book three is going to be released. It seems like, it seems like the time has just flown. Um, but I still feel the same way that God, I hope when this hits that, you know, people are going to follow me through into the end and, you know, see where this crazy thing is going. But I, you know, I feel a little bit more confident, but I, I still worry about it. Well, I'll follow you anywhere, brother. Yeah. Well, you guys are, you know, it's important because you guys uh, have really been reading me from the beginning. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, if there's some people that I could, you know, put my finger on that have kind of followed me from my first short stories that I'd sold uh, ages ago uh, to Tony and then how that kind of blossomed in into the end and all beginnings and then became, you know, him picking up my back catalog from books of the dead. I mean, you guys have, have, have been with me from the beginning. And so that's why, you know, your opinion about these books is so important. It may not, you know, I think it is important to readers. Um, but it's really important to me because, you know, if I'm playing to an audience of people, you know, one of the key audiences of people that I'm playing to are, are people who have read me from the very beginning. And people um, who know your work, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you, you as an author, I think you live in fear of, you know, being at a point where people start to go, you know, he was better in his first couple books than he was now, and that's too bad. Yeah, and there, there's, <laughs> a, uh, there's a horse that I tend to beat to death in my reviews and stuff, and I think I probably 
you know gets old for some people but yeah. the 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 true sign of a great author versus a good author is an author who every successive book you pick up you go this is even better than the last book i read by this guy that's and important difference i mean you right. know one of the things that has been really important to me throughout my you know, career, if whatever I have can be said to be a career, is range. I want people to, uh, you know, I want people to to, to read a, a story, a, a story, a novella, a novel, whatever, for me and say, wow, this is not a lot like any other thing that I've read from him or, you know. Um, and you and Marilyn share that in common is that you both pull that off. Yeah. And I, you know, that could ultimately be a good segue into talking about some of the other stuff that's going on. But I know that, you know, when I, when I decided what I was going to do after the fearing was put to bed, I wanted to, I didn't want to do a big novel. I didn't want to do a big grandiose novel with a bunch of characters. I, you know, what I really decided on doing was a uh, 1970s coming of age story that right. is very much more intimate. He and, left, right? Yeah, he left. And, you know, Tony, uh, you know, I don't want to jump the gun on him, but I'm pretty sure Tony's going to bring that to, to market sometime next year. And, you know, I think when people read that, they're going to go, wow, this is nothing like The Fearing. Nothing like The Fearing. It's, it's a much more intimate story that, that touches on complete, some completely different, you know, some completely completely the same themes, but some com really completely different things. But, and that, that's the thing too, is if you go all the way back to the bell, Witch, mm -hmm. all right. And there, there you've got your classic haunting. Right. Right. And then from there you branch off in so many different directions. Like I read the bell, Witch, <laughs> and I, expe I expect a ghost from you every time I opened a book. Right. <laughs> far from it. You know? Yeah. I think, you know, I, I, when I sit down and look at the, uh, the short stories that I want to put in collections or, you know, in the case of the end and all beginnings the novellas that I put in there, you know, it's really important for me as an author to show readers that, Hey, I'm not a one trick pony here. I can do, I can cover a lot of different ground and hopefully still write uh, an entertaining story that you will love to read. And, you know, so far I think knock on wood, I've been fairly lucky in that regard. Um, and, you know, this thing that uh, I've got going on with Josh right now, I think is going to you know, I think it's going to blow Josh's mind. I think it's going to blow my mind. And then hopefully it's going to blow everybody else's mind. It blows my mind that you guys even have <laughs> it going on. So, you know, well, we've been talking about it for a long time. He's, you know, obviously he's got his dance card is, is pretty well punched. And so we've been looking for a, a a window in his schedule to slip this into. And, um, you know, he finally gave me the go ahead. He's like, you know, just go ahead and get it started and send it to me. And then we'll just go back and forth with it and see where we go. And uh, I gave him the first 3,700, 3,800 words uh, a couple of days ago. And uh, he I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> but I will be I will be very interested to see what he sends back to me. Who the hell knows what Mailerman's going to do? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean I can't I can't tell you a lot about it. Only because you know we're not 
outlining this. We're just right. going back and forth, back and forth. It is uh, science fiction horror. Awesome. But very much horror. I mean, this is not, a you know, it's going to be very much a horror story. Horror can be told in any setting, in yeah, any genre. And, and, you know, one of the things that we had talked about when we were talking about this is that you don't, you don't see a lot of genuine horror sci-fi. Um, you know, you could probably rattle off a couple of films, uh, Alien, uh, the Alien stuff, and and maybe Event Horizon and a couple movies like that, but not a whole lot of sci-fi horror literature. So, you know, yeah, we're not, hoping to we're hoping to make a chip into that direction. Yeah, not nearly enough, in my opinion, on either either film or fiction. Right. Yeah. I think that's that just makes us especially even more excited about it because, like you said, there's not much of that stuff out there. And then between the two of you guys with such a wide range of styles that you've shown throughout your works, it it's it really makes it hard to even guess what it's going to be like other than awesome. Yeah. Well, hopefully yeah. so. And you know, I think the the great thing about Josh is that he's just so unpredictable in uh, you know, the tropes he chooses to use, the tropes he doesn't use. Um, you know, his writing is, is spectacular. Um, you know, we've kind of had this mutual fan thing going on since uh right after Bird Box came out and we were trading uh trading copies of our books uh for the Stoker Awards that year. Um, and he's just a, he's just a great guy. He's a kind of a, you know, the kind of guy like you two that I wish lived closer, you know, so that we could go, you know, get shit faced every once in a while and talk <laughs> about stuff until the wee hours of the night. And, uh, but it's, it's going to be interesting. We've talked about how we're going to put this together. And, you know, I told him that he and Allison should come down here and spend some time at Taft Lodge and, he said that Deb and I should come up and spend some time at his new place up in Michigan. So it's going to be interesting. Okay. Yeah. I want to in on one of those gatherings. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it will be great. Um, and speaking of wide ranges, when you think about Mailerman and Taft, wide range is the first thing that comes <laughs> to mind. Um, but not just in, in style, but in form. I mean, you, you, you're one of those writers who can like we talked to Laurel Hightower a while back mm-hmm. and she's written a novel, but we asked her about short stories and she made a point, a very good point that that's a whole, that's a whole different ball game mm-hmm. than a novel. And, but you can swim in all, in all three pools I'm thinking about right now, which is the short story, the novel, the novella, you excel at all those forms. Well, um, thank you. I, you know, if I had to pick one, my, my love would be uh, short stories. I mean, that's my, my first love anyway. I, I truly do love the novella form because it just gives you a little bit more room to, to spread things out. And then I just finished a, a novella for Mark Matthews. He's doing a, a follow-up to his Garden of Fiends book on addiction horror uh, that was out a year or two ago. And... Uh, he asked me to come back with a story and I racked my brain and racked my brain and finally came up with, with something that I think has worked really, really well. And I think Mark is, has, uh, 
pretty excited about what I gave him. So uh, that's going to be a that's going to be a an awesome book. That's got uh, Keelan Patrick Burke in it, Gabino Iglesias, Caroline Kepneys, uh, Mercedes uh, Yardley. Um, it's it's going to be a fantastic book. Um, yeah, that's uh, I'm super excited about that book. We've talked to Mark about that some and. Uh, hugely, hugely invested in getting my hands on that one as soon as possible. But I like, you know, there are things that I like about each one of those formats. Um, they each have strengths that they bring to the table. And I think if you play to those strengths in whatever story is that you're putting together in that format, I think, you know, when a, when a story takes advantage of the strengths that that format brings to the table, it really helps that story amplify itself. You know, when you've got a short story that, that needs to be a short story, when you've got a novella that needs to be a novella, when you've got a novel that needs to be a novel, that's when you, you know, when you hit that sweet spot for each one of those things, that's what really makes it sing. Um, and that's when you're truly, truly letting, <laughs> letting, not so much letting the story tell itself, but it's letting the story kind of be its own guide. Yeah, I, you know, I like, um, I like sitting down and writing a story and and kind of knowing it's going to be maybe a short story or novella, but not completely sure. I think with novels, you're with me at least. I'm generally pretty sure when it's a novel, but with a short story or a novella, I'm not sure until I start writing and. And if I don't have a built-in, uh, you know, guide, if somebody isn't telling me, well, this is this has got to be a short story or it's got to be a novella, that is, in a way, uh, more exhilarating because then, yeah, you do. You have to trust in the story and let it tell itself. And, you know, you, won't, you don't have to pad it or cut it unnecessarily to get it to, to one of those formats. Rich, you there? Yeah, I'm uh, here. Yeah, okay. I'm here. <laughs> Everybody's no, quiet. No, I was just I was just listening to that, and, and that was one thing <clears throat> that I find interesting is you know you did the serial thing with uh, the fearing, and mm-hmm. now this collaboration. You've done so many different styles, and I just I always like hearing about that stuff and hearing about you know what inspires authors to try different things because i'm kind of interested in different forms like a very divisive horror novel i don't know if you've read it and some people would argue that it's not even horror Mm -hmm. it's something like house of leaves so any like different approach to like traditional storytelling that always just fascinates me i got uh it's on my kindle i haven't read it yet but it comes Highly I, recommended from from a lot of people that I respect. So, if I could just interject for a second, like the Kindle, I haven't read it on there, mm-hmm. but with the way that it's formatted, I would recommend like if you can get it at get a paper library. Back? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just because of the way everything's laid out, I don't know how they did it with the ebook. Right. But. It, yeah, like, I'm just interested in different types. or uh, well, And even for Gutted, um, Paul Tremblay's story, where it was mm-hmm. kind of like the choose-your-own-adventure. Right, right. And I just think that's interesting and, in, you know, what inspires writers to try well, I, out these different forms. You know, I think you want, 
you know, as you continue to do this and, you know, I've done this for going on 30 years now with, you know, one degree of success or another, um, you look for things that are going to keep you interested in doing it. Um, And so whether that's telling a story in a different format or in a different way or with different characters that you're used to, or, you know, you usually write in third person, you know, you're going to write in first person or whatever it is. I mean, whatever it, it is that keeps me interested in coming back and telling a story. I think that that is, that's key to me. I'm yeah, and that's it's always interesting how stories are, you know, like you talk about that, um, you know, first person, third person, whatever, and like mm-hmm. I'm reading one right now is that's a first person telling a story in third person. Oh, that's interesting. And yeah, <laughs> and it it's it takes you back every now and then, but it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as long as what you're doing doesn't interfere with story, because. You know, one of the things that I think of, I think of myself as a storyteller, first and foremost, not really even as a writer, first and foremost, it's a storyteller. So I don't want to do anything that's going to detract from the story. Um, But any way that I can still tell a a good story and keep myself interested, I'm going to I'm going to try. I'm going to tackle. I haven't written a screenplay really at this point. I'd love to try that. Um, you know, there are still some things that I would like to try my hand at, uh, that I hadn't been able to do. Um, uh, this collaboration with Josh is, you know, ticks off a big uh, box for me, you know, working with another author who I respect, um, and, you know, getting in there and, you know, not just holding my own, but trying to, you know, trying to really shock him as much as possible. Right, right. I can imagine that would be an aspect of it because at that point in time, he's your he's your kind of your beta reader, your ultimate right, beta right. reader. Yeah. So I want to be able to you know to rock him. And go, oh my God, I can't believe Taft did this, or wow, I didn't see that coming, or whatever, and have him really stop to think about where he's going to take the story in in his section that he's you know writing. So, but yeah, it's 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 a constant thing to keep yourself interested in doing something you've been doing for so long. Yeah, I would imagine there's some level of evolution that has to go on there in order for that to occur. Um, But plus, I mean, there's something that shines through in all your stories and and in all good author stories. And it's that thing that you said, and that's that you're a storyteller first. Exactly. And you it shows that you that you love story deeply yeah to me when when a uh, books that i've read where uh, you know the author has done something a little too meta or a little too cutesy wootsy that that pulls me out of the story that to me feels like a failure on that author's part um that that you lost me as a reader now you've got me you bumped me out of the story thinking about whatever it is that you've just done um, and, you know, how affected it is or how just weirdly, you know, meta or weirdly artsy it is that that's not me that I, I, I can't wrap my mind around that kind of stuff. I, I want to tell a story and I want 
the reader to be able to really get into the story and to, you know, identify with characters and identify with situations and to feel the emotions. And, and, uh, I don't want anything getting in the way of that. Yeah. So, um, I'm running out of wind, so (laughs) I tend to have that effect on people. Oh, I'm old, John. (laughs) I don't think it's so much that Shane's running out of wind. It's just that there's so much stuff we could talk about. We'd have like a we'd have like a twelve hour podcast on our hands. I'm sitting here looking at I'm sitting here looking at my notes and going I'm sitting here looking at my notes and going, wait, I didn't even talk about any of this shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can, I suspect that the one that we do after the fearing is all out may be a long one. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm thinking two-parter. Oh. <laughs> oh, one quick thing, and it's not even really a question. Yeah. Well, I guess kind of it is. Do you think there's any way we can convince Tony that once all of these are out, to do some kind of like cool volume where they're like all in one package. <laughs> I've been instructed never to speak of this. <laughs> hey Tony, uh, if you're listening, uh, Shane and I would really like if you did a special edition of there you go. when it's complete. <laughs> but, it, but it wasn't John's idea. Right. Suffice <laughs> to say that Tony is well aware of my feelings on this subject. <laughs> but uh yeah, I would uh, I would say, uh, you know, uh, don't hold your breath, but there's always hope. But we'll just keep pestering. Yeah, him that's the best case. thing to do. <laughs> exactly. Keep pestering him. He, he knows that there is a uh, that there is a demand out there for that. So, hey, I, I want to do a podcast sometime in the future. I don't know if we talked to you about this in one of our other mm-hmm. um, episodes here, but. Sometime in the future, I want to get you and Daniel and Josh and Eric and all you cats on all at once. Yeah, we're we're probably going to have an announcement on the follow-up to uh, I Can Taste the Blood, which is called Midnight Land. Um, We'll probably have an announcement on that in the next, I don't know, 30 days, something like that. We're getting pretty close to something that I can't really talk too much about right now or I, I can't really talk any about but I think it's a really exciting um, yeah and so once we make that announcement I think having us all together on to talk about you know how we're approaching this and why we decided to change the name from uh, I can hear the shadows to midnight land and what we're planning to do going forward I, I think would be a great and it's always interesting, you know, we're all three, four such different, completely different people um, that having a conversation with all of us is. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> I can imagine because yeah. your differences even come through online. So, yeah. And, you know, I have to say, was, what is it, two years ago now that I went up to New York and got to hang out with all all three of those guys. It was a blast. It was a blast. I remember the photos from that. I was yeah. so incredibly jealous of every single one of you. <laughs> it was pretty cool. And, you know, we're trying to figure out a way to do that in the future. Um, so, but yeah, I think once we, once we're able to make this announcement of what's going on with Midnight Land, I, I 
definitely think that we'd all be up for for coming on with you. Uh, that would be awesome. We we definitely want to make that happen. Yep. Yeah, that would be great. But uh, I guess we'll let you go. We've been talking your ear off. I mean, we could keep you on here for a while. But... <laughs> well, you know, I always love talking to you guys. Um, but yeah, definitely. Watch well, hang on, I'll grab a cocktail. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Go, <laughs> Go watch ahead. your mail next week because I think you might have book three. Awesome, awesome. Um, looking forward to that. We're l- looking forward to talking to you again after book three. Absolutely. Always. Um, always, always, guys. So, yeah, good times, John. It's always great to talk to you, and we will talk to you again next time. Okay, guys. Have a good one. You All too. Right, peace. Bye.